Welcome to the first ever episode of Jake and Ethan Made a Podcast. We are two average Joes who want to share the stories of above average individuals. On the Jake and Ethan Made a Podcast show, we'll cover stories ranging from business, sports, finance, and we're going to interview people with interesting careers. Like other podcasts, we want to bring you inspiring stories, but we also want to share the untold stories of courtroom sketch artists, badminton Olympians, and professional hot dog eaters. And all seriousness, no, we really just want to keep it fun for you. On our first episode, we'll be interviewing a close friend of the Jake and Ethan Made a Podcast show, Harrison Bevins. Harrison left his career in finance in his mid-20s. He moved to China with no idea what he was going to do next. Five years later, he founded and sold multiple companies and serves as the CEO and founder of Oak and Rove, a high-end travel bag company. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. Really uh, honored to be the first guest on your podcast. Um, I guess just to to back up a little bit and kind of give some context around, you know, where the uh, where the China idea originally came into mind. So, in college, you know, I had a few internships um, in Salt Lake City. So I went to school at the University of Utah. I was studying finance um, and. I was going to finance meetings and things like this, watching uh, different people in the finance community come and talk to us and talking about investment banking, some of these different roles. I ended up getting an internship at a company called CIT Group. Um, They have a a branch in Salt Lake. So I was there doing things that involve like credit analysis, um, not super exciting financial stuff. But, you know, it was a way to get my foot in the door and kind of learn more about that world. And also, for me, a way to kind of pad the resume. Obviously, I think as you guys both know uh, how competitive it can be uh, in finance, you know, you, you you do need to have that experience on the resume. So I ended up getting this position and I quickly kind of realized that I didn't really enjoy being in the office environment. So just a few weeks into these internships, I started looking at different opportunities, um, you know, out there for people who have graduated and maybe don't want to go the traditional route. So I found these guys who were our age, you know, at the time, 22, 23 years old, they had left, uh, they had graduated. And instead instead of going down the traditional route and going straight into a job, these guys moved out to China, specifically a city called Guangzhou. Um, So this is about a a two hour train ride from Hong Kong. Um, And it's very strategic in the way that, in the place that it's located because of that proximity to Hong Kong and the rest of Southeast Asia. So these young guys went out there um, and they were interested in starting their own business. And you know, to make ends meet in the meantime, they were teaching English and kind of doing odd jobs, like, you know, random modeling jobs, being a white person in in Asia, you know, you kind of have these crazy opportunities that just pop up, you know, make a quick hundred bucks there, quick hundred bucks there. But the the, the main goal was really to, to start a business. And so these guys actually ended up importing uh, wine from the US into China and started to build a pretty successful wine importing business as a, as a young 20, 23, 24 year old. Um, on the side, what they started doing is creating these YouTube videos. So they created this uh, brand called the elevator life. And essentially the gist of it was like, you know, why take the stairs when you can take the elevator and kind of, you know, skip all that. 
um, with the analogy being like, you don't have to go get a job to, to become wealthy. You can kind of build your own path and, and build your own businesses and, and get wealthy that way. I stumbled onto these guys, this YouTube channel during these internships. So I was like consuming this content while I'm at my internship. I'm supposed to be doing finance work. And I'm like, like secretly listening to these, to these uh, podcasts and these YouTube videos. And uh, it, it made me really excited. So that was one thing that kind of clicked right away. It's like, how can I be so excited about not doing finance? You know, I'm watching these guys in China doing this crazy stuff. They're traveling, they're, they're in this completely different world. They're importing wine, like learning all these different things about business. That got me really excited. And I was like, okay, well, this could be something that, that I might like to do as well. Almost instantaneously where I was like, I'm going to move to China. Like I walked <laughs> out of that office and I was like, oh, it's, it's as clear as day. Like this is done. Like I'm not, this doesn't make any sense. I was going to so, ask what the, what the process is like to come to a, a decision. I think like we all, maybe not all of us, but I think a lot of us feel that same way. You reach like a certain level in corporate world and you go, yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> right. And you go, okay, so yeah. my options are I'm going to do this for 40 years and then retire and die. Or I'm going to really <laughs> like, I'm going to think about something different to do. Um, yeah. So I was, I was really interested to get your, your, um, your take on like, it, it sounds like it was years in the making that came down to one meeting, walking out mm -hmm. a door and going, this is it. And it's clear as day. Um, yeah. Yeah. That breaking point, essentially, I think everybody who's, who's kind of made that decision, they could each tell their own story or, you know, that, that moment when it's like the decision is made that, you know, you're going to basically change your life. And all of the fear that I think people have, like, what am I going to do with my apartment? What am I going to do with, you know, how am I going to tell my family? Uh, what, what am I going to do about money? The, the pain eventually outweighs all of those factors. To, so it just gets to the point where you're like, like that, that, that idea sounds better than all of this and I'll, and I'll figure it out. But I bought, I bought the ticket. I bought the one-way ticket while I was still at the job just because I needed that. Um, I basically needed that commitment, you know, that, that it was going to happen. Hmm. Yeah. All of the guys that I had been in touch with who were out in Asia, basically, you know, land in Hong Kong, there's this special place you can go to, to get a visa, uh, a 10 year business visa. And I remember you telling me this story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what's interesting about this is, uh, to get a visa, you do need to have certain documents, like a like an actual letter of employment from a company in in China. But when you get to China, there's no rules really. So like you know, money money is what talks. And um, I go to this place in Hong Kong, and I get there to uh, apply for my visa, and they're like, "Oh, do you have like any employment papers?" And I was like, "Not really." And they're like, well, "Okay, it doesn't matter. We'll figure it out." And so like, pay them three hundred dollars. <laughs> Three days later, I get this fucking legit 10-year business visa in, in my passport. So uh, that was, you know, probably the easiest way to get a visa that I've ever experienced in my entire life. And um, within the next two days, uh, my friends had come over from, from Guangzhou, two guys that I had met uh, online. One of them was actually a friend previously from, from college who had already gone out there. And uh, yeah, we traveled through together to, to go to China. And that was kind of the first experience going into uh, the mainland. So, so uh, very interesting. 
Week week one in China, realities versus expectations. Go. Yeah, so <clears throat> I would say the the to start it off on a very interesting foot. Like I get to the border patrol or customs and um I get off the train, everybody goes through, every literally every single person, and I'm sitting there and the lady is inspecting my passport for a solid 20, 30 minutes. Like not not even an exaggeration. Like she's she's got a magnifying glass now. She's looking at like the the paper. They've got like this other guy coming over and I've got my best poker face on just trying to keep my cool because inside I'm freaking the fuck out. You know, I've got I'm in this this new communist country. I don't know anything. I don't know like where I am or what's going to happen. I don't know if they're going to detain me. Um, you just paid $300 just, for a government for, official <laughs> to give you a visa that you, I, yeah. That I don't know is real or not. Right. So, <laughs> so I'm freaking out a little bit on the inside yeah. um, thinking that maybe this thing isn't real. And then, you know, after all of this time, finally she, she stamps it. I go through, I'm like, okay, holy shit, that was, uh, that was intense. That was an interesting welcome to the country. You want to kind of talk about how, uh, you know, uh, you got to China, you were teaching English on the side, um, just to kind of support yourself. And you're like, you, you sit down one day when you're finally done traveling, you're like, got a laptop in front of you or a notebook and like, boom, how, how do you start? Because I, I, I yeah. feel like oftentimes there's this like, uh, people often have a, a failure to launch effects where you're like, you, you're going to start it any day now and you're going to do it any day now. Like it's, it's going to yeah. happen. Like I'm going to make my first idea. And it's just kind of like uh, um, sometimes it's taking that first step that is literally the hardest. It's the zero to one there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's also like, you know, that process, <clears throat> it took a while just because I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do or what I was doing. Like the, the, the idea was just to like get out of the current situation and, you know, try to figure it out. Um, and I think that's why people thought it was so crazy. Cause they're like, what are you going to do out there? And I was like, I don't know. I'm going to fucking figure it out. Like I'm, I'm just going to go out there and see what's, see what is out there. Um, and originally, yeah, to make money, I started teaching English on the side. So I was doing like random tutoring jobs and this was, this was helpful just to kind of pull in some income and you know make ends meet while living in china obviously it's a lot cheaper to live there so that was also you know strategic in nature that i could kind of bootstrap and and live off a lower income while i'm trying to figure stuff out um the guys that i got involved with were all um doing copywriting at the time you know if you're a really good copywriter people will pay you to write copy for them whether it's advertising uh, uh ads or um sales letters or website copy things like this so that be, that that started kind of the path towards um you know consuming information on marketing so i i was like we we're you know listening to audiobooks and also reading probably like two or three books a week just constantly consuming information and th this became kind of our routine uh for the next several months where we would just be like reading um, business books, self-development books, copywriting books, marketing books, and kind of 24-7 just like living and breathing this uh, information consumption. But at some point, like even says, you know, you, you actually have to execute and take action and actually kind of do something. You can't just like you know, do analysis paralysis. And 
some of the guys that I, that I was with actually kind of got stuck into that mode where they're just like consuming and consuming and consuming, but not doing anything. And I'm like, okay, like let's make some money. Like let's figure out how to do this. Um, so the first thing that I did was created a profile on Upwork. Cause like, I just wanted to make money online. That was actually the main goal. It's just making money online so that I could travel and kind of be, um, location independent. Um, and so I made that profile on Upwork, started applying to jobs and started getting, uh, paid to basically write product descriptions for Amazon sellers. Um, so obviously everything that you see on Amazon has a description, has a title. Um, there's all strat there's a strategy behind all of that, you know, in terms of like the keywords that they're using, um, the, the way that it's written. So I very quickly learned how to write Amazon descriptions and I became very efficient at that and started to understand, you know, how sales copy works. Um, and then I got hired to write uh, emails for different products and I was writing sales letters and kind of, uh, you know, becoming more efficient and competent in that world. Um, but one thing that I realized that, you know, if I wanted to make money doing this is I, I needed to, uh, again, just like having a job, trade my time, right? And that's okay, but um, I, I, I felt like there, there's a better way, right? So in this constant search for more information, I, I one day Googled how to make money online in 2016 or something like this, something stupid. And um, I found this blog post. And this guy uh, started to describe how he was uh, making money with this model called drop shipping. And so I, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but for anyone who's ever watching this, basically drop shipping is a model where as a seller, you don't actually hold any inventory. So it's where you would basically create a storefront and then your inventory would be shipped directly from a manufacturer um, so that you don't have to buy any of the inventory up front. And in this particular case, what guys were doing, they're creating a, a Shopify store, so a, a web a web front, and then driving traffic to that store with Facebook advertising. And then on the back end, it would be connected to a Chinese manufacturer who would then ship the product directly to the customer all around the world when you make a purchase through your store. So I read this, I read this article and my mind just kind of exploded because I was like, okay, this is this is exactly what I'm looking for. Like, I don't need anything except for a computer and a little bit of, a little bit of money to test uh, some ads. And this has the potential to actually turn into a scalable business without me trading my time, right? So if all this stuff is set up, I don't have to sit there and write an article to make, you know, $20 an hour. Um, I can make money through sales while I'm sleeping, while I'm traveling, while I'm doing whatever. So e-commerce kind of immediately became that thing that made sense to me in terms of what my, what my goals are. Um, so I ended up, you know, diving into that world and started watching more YouTube videos and I'm like, okay, enough, enough information consumption. Let's like build a store. So a, I lot, a lot easier than starting like a cobalt mining company in China. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So don't need to which, go which if you're you're bullish on uh, on electric vehicles and batteries it could be a, a profitable enterprise these days hey why not why not he hasn't you gotten can... to the cobalt stage yet there was uh, a cobalt okay, stage. Okay. That, that 2017 the great yeah. cobalt stage of 2017 the Man, just, just, yeah quick quickly though I'm, I'm i'm interested in um 
I'm interested in that mindset of time for money and looking and seeking out businesses that are not your your income is not directly correlated to your to your time. Um, yeah, I don't know if you can speak a little bit more about that, but I think that's also like a that seems like something to me that is such a no brainer once you hear it. But when you're in your your focus, right? You're talking about your your hey, here's the path. Yeah. Um, people just talk about, this is my salary, this is my bonus, and that's what I'm doing. And they're, they're not talking about um, their use of time. So I, I, I don't know how, like if, if you have any other nuggets about kind of that thought process, how you came to that thought process, but yeah. it's, a, it's a very no, good- No, absolutely. It's, um, yeah, you, you, you said it pretty well. It's like, not everybody kind of thinks about that all the time. And that's kind of what I meant when you have to have like a mindset shift about you know, just life in general and what you do with your time. Like for me, the, the, the shittiest part about the work in New York, it wasn't so much that like, I didn't like what I was like, some of the work was interesting. Right. But what I didn't like is that I had to be there for, you know, 12 hours out of the day and some of the, some part of the day, I'm not even doing anything, but I, it's like, I have to be there just because that's kind of the culture. Um, I wanted that time back. Right. And, and I think in life, you know, what we start to realize, especially as we get older, is like the most valuable thing that we have is time. It's like even now, you know, I'll, I see people not to hate on people that do this, but like I'll, I'll drive by a Costco, right? And there'll be like, there'll be like a line of 50 cars waiting to get gas for 10 cents cheaper per gallon. And I'm like, how much time are they waiting in line to save about a dollar in gas? If it's like, they're just not thinking, you know, how valuable is their time? It's like, what do you make per hour? If you're making 40, $50 an hour, that's how valuable your time is, right? So whether you're getting paid or not, that's like, that's how valuable your time is. Can I ask once, you? Uh, once you, on, yeah, once you understand that concept, I mean, it's the, one of the more liberating things because then you start using your hard earned dollars to leverage more time to make more of those dollars. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. A, a question though, on the, on the, on the corollary, because sometimes, right. Even though I, I like to think of myself as like a risk on guy, I'm, I would like to my think, think of myself as relatively entrepreneurial. There is some part of me though, that also goes like when I, when I think about time and I think about, okay, I have, you know, however many, hundred or thousand weeks on the planet I have anytime I just want to relax or you know what I want to play xbox and just waste my time yeah As, is there any negative that you felt going from like okay if everything is about you know time x enjoyment x money equals my end goal like is there any is there any downside to constantly we're gonna, we're gonna graph that out later by the right, way right yeah like that of course was, yeah right we'll send you get a whiteboard yeah <laughs> we'll send you we'll send you that but but it, more so like on the you know it's a great concept have you found in any way that that shifted how you've done things in your personal life like oh i don't want to go on on a date on this friday because i meant i was going to have a beer with my friend and i value that more than this so like xyz any mm -hmm. any any other ways it slipped into your your personal life yeah, I, I see what you're saying there. I, I don't think, I mean, I've never taken it to that extreme. Um, one thing that I've noticed that's kind of funny, though, is like now that I do, now that I am trying to, you know, build my own businesses, oftentimes I'll end up spending 
kind of more time than I originally did, you know, working on building these things. So like, I'm almost not almost, I, I'd say I'm certainly busier uh, now than I have been in the past when I'm doing my, my, uh, my own, I guess when I was working at a job, when I left the job, I could stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. But now the, the trade-off now is that I never stop thinking about what I'm working on. Like it's kind of 24-7 always on. And I'd say that's one of the negatives about kind mm-hmm. of, I guess, being an entrepreneur or, or starting your own thing. It's like maybe you do have more time, but up here it's still being, it's still being consumed by the stuff that you're working on. Um, mm-hmm. That could be a good thing or a bad thing, but it's also uh, that I think as you as you develop in that world a little bit, you also have to start practicing on like separating your mindset from, you know, work and, and your downtime. Um, I think that's a little bit related to kind of what you're talking about. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll leave the existentialism for a moment and I'll come back to <laughs> drop shipping. Um, yeah, so- we, we, we should have a segment every uh, episode that's like, we'll call it existential jig where the uh one there's a mathematical formula that properly describes the uh right the the, the, the existential crisis yeah yeah um but and it's only to be recorded it's only to be recorded after three whiskeys at four in the morning and i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna have like low tom waits jazz playing in the background very it's gonna be very existential anyway um so yeah harrison tell us a, a little bit more about some of the first products you were working on and um absolutely want to uh, do a deep dive into your recent launch of Oak and Rove and learn a lot more about, you know, what went into building that product, like the early marketing campaigns you were doing. And then, you know, like what's, what's next uh, for the company? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, basically the drop shipping stuff was a really good way for me to basically learn everything about how a business works. So when you start a drop shipping store, even though it's simple in nature, you, you have to build a storefront. So you have to build an online presence. You have to write copy and you have to uh, make it look good. So it's gotta be presentable. You have to have an about section so people understand what you're all about. Um, and then you have to do marketing. So you have to understand how marketing works. So I started to learn about Facebook ads and, um, understanding is, is all of this just like you going on google and googling how does marketing work and then you realize that marketing is decomposed into like facebook marketing gmail marketing or like google adwords and then like you know gmail and and and, and email and stuff like that and then you know just i mean literally it's like google and figure it out yeah i mean it, i was lucky in a sense that it was even more focused than that so that i i think if i was just like what's marketing it would have been even harder but because i was specifically following this drop shipping model that was you know driven with facebook ads um that was only thing i focused on in the beginning just like understanding how to do facebook ads um i started a, a yoga store so i was going to sell some yoga mats and it failed miserably like so i you know, i built the store I was like, so I was like convinced that I was going to turn on ads and money was just going to start pouring in. And I was just going to be like, Oh, I made it. I'm so rich now. Um, obviously that didn't happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the important thing is that I didn't give up. So I, I spent all this time, it took me a week to build a store and like get it connected and figure out all the stuff and get the Facebook ads working. Um, turned it on, started advertising, nothing happened. 
and then like I think back to that store it was awful the ads were terrible like it was just it was complete shit um so I started over I was like okay um yoga's maybe too broad it's just it's just there's too many different interests that are uh targeting yoga it's too competitive too broad so I was like what's what's very very niche uh and like very you know has a very passionate uh audience base and i'm going through some of these drop shipping uh some of the products the drop shipping products and like looking around and i see like a horse like a horseshoe necklace and i'm like oh okay i was like okay this sounds like the perfect formula like i have these horse products i can create a horse store and i have all these people that like horses i can show my ads to so i built a horse store and it was called um, <laughs> it was called it was called horse lane a, a stable if you will <laughs> yeah, what was it what was it called horse lane horse lane horse yeah. lane huh yep so i built that that store um horselane.com yeah it was horse-lane.com i don't know mm. if it's i don't think it's still up but basically you know i just thought that that would be kind of a a good a good test essentially that's how i looked at it like this will be just a, a cheap test to see if we can make this work um and i spent ads uh nothing happened again um you know i was just like okay well i don't think i'm gonna give up so i just kept trying like i i, I tried different products i tried different ads i made the store look better um and it was about a, it was an iterative process in about three weeks uh I, I i spent testing and finally i woke up one day and i had my first sale so i was like holy shit somebody on the internet you know went to my store and use their credit card to buy this product that you know i had basically put together um how, how good did that, that feel it was insane man it was like i was ecstatic it was like the thing that basically i needed to hook me and you know give me that that dopamine high that i needed to continue to chase that <laughs> that that continual you know rush um and so from there it was just kind of a matter of getting better and and that all just comes through experience and trial and error so my ads got better the products got better uh the site got better i optimized everything and it continued to improve and improve and improve and um that by that point it was july of 2016 so this is about six months in to living in china um, and i had basically built my first store made my first sale um and then I started finding audiences that were giving me consistent return on ad spend. So I remember hitting my first hundred dollar day and then, you know, I started to scale up and I started having bigger days, $200, $300, $400, $500. $500. I had hit my, uh, I had hit my first like $1,000 day. Um, and I was like, you know, over the moon, just excited. Uh, that month, I think, that month was okay. I did like, I think we did like 10 or $11,000 in, in sales. Um, pretty, pretty small, but for, you know, for a first store when you're just kind of figuring everything out, it felt like very, very big. Um, but I felt like I had something, I had enough of something that it might be worth trying to, to sell and kind of, uh, recoup some of the, some of the investment and, and, you know, basically use capital to kind of take something a little bit more serious. So I, I sold that store about 11 months later. I sold it, uh, sold it in May of 2017. 
on a uh, on a site called Flippa.com, basically uh, uh, an auction site. Hmm. Were you were you what were your days when you were doing this dropship when you're doing uh, horse lane? Were you what were your days looking like? What were you coming back to time? Were you like just refresh, 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 constantly looking at ads, or was it like you wake up, you check it in the morning, you check it on lunch, you check it at dinner, and then you're having a good time the rest of the day? No, it was it it was a grind. It was kind of like what you said the first the first time. Like I was in I was in my Facebook ads dashboard for hours every day, um, constantly tweaking stuff, trying to figure out how to make stuff better, um, looking for other products, new products, looking for new audiences. Like I I was only selling in the U.S. at one point, then I started selling in Mexico, and Mexico was you know performing really well, and then I started selling in Europe. Um, so I was selling stuff kind of all over the place. Um, and it was just a matter of constantly trying to make it better and scaling up and scaling up. Um, but when I, when I, when I hit that ceiling, that's when I realized I'm like, I don't know if this can get any bigger with my current level of like skill set and expertise. Um, that's when I decided that maybe I should try to sell this thing and, and do something a little bit more, um, automated, which would be Amazon FBA, which I knew other guys were doing as well mm-hmm. so when i sold it that's what I, I i took about i took like a two or three month break and tried to just figure out what i wanted to do next um i had come back to the u.s traveled around a bit with my girlfriend i went back to china and then i realized okay i'm gonna i think i'm gonna try amazon um so the difference with amazon is that instead of drop shipping products you're finding a factory that makes something um, and then private labeling it. So basically maybe tweaking it a little bit, making the packaging and then throwing your brand on it and then buying in bulk, shipping it to a warehouse in the U S with an Amazon warehouse and then creating a listing on Amazon. And then they basically handle all of the fulfillment and the delivery and the customer service. So I really liked that. That was like way different than the, the Shopify stuff because with Shopify, I'm doing all the customer service. Literally the opposite. Yeah. So I was like, I want something that's kind of like, that takes that off the plate. So, but it's a little bit more risky because you have to find the right product and make sure that, you know, when you buy this inventory, that it's going to actually sell when you, when you ship it in. So that was July of 2017 when I started that. And uh, that was also a very slow start. I, basically the way that Amazon sellers make money, they do all this keyword research, right? So you're looking at search volume, you're looking at what's ranking, you're looking at what has uh, good ranking, but little competition and what has potential to grow. Um, mm-hmm. There's all these third party tools that you can use to eva- to evaluate different niches, like what's generating revenue, um, what's going to be good to kind of jump into. Um, I'd found this product. So basically these are barbecue mats. Um, they go on top of a, a grill and it allows you to cook like burgers or fish or vegetables um, outside on a grill without it kind of getting the grill all messy or, you know, all the food falling through the grates. Uh, this was around the summer of 2017. All the research was indicating that these things were selling really hot. This is a huge learning lesson because this was July. So obviously these are selling really well. I'm just finding I, I, I smell some seasonality. I don't know what you <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. So I, I, uh, <clears throat> I buy some samples. I, um, that, this was really great. So living in China, I can get samples in a day. 
Whereas people in the US, it's taken them two weeks. So I, I was able to get stuff very quickly. Um, you know, speak to the factories at the same time, you know, same, same time of the day. That was all really beneficial. I ended up getting these mats. They were good. I, I decided to bundle them up in a pack of four with a, with a brush, um, which no one else was doing. So I was trying to differentiate basically in the way that it was bundled. I got some pretty, pretty packaging made. And what was great about the Amazon business is that I had even less, less amount of time spent than I was on my drop shipping business. So it was, it was more, it was way more automated. Um, and that was very, very attractive and appealing in terms of like what I could see this turning into if I just found the right combination of products. So I went back to research, right? I started looking at new stuff I could launch. I found a, uh, a stapler that was like made of acrylic. So it was like see-through and it had this rose gold, uh, kind of design. It was kind of cool. There was one other seller selling this and it was a Chinese seller. Um, their listing was awful. Their, the, you know, the, the text was terrible. It wasn't optimized and they were selling, you know, 15, 20 of these a day. So I was like, I'm going to basically sell the same thing, but like, you know, just optimize the, the page better. Um, found the factory very quickly, bought 300 units, shipped it into Amazon um, right before the Chinese new year. So I, I did this between finding the product and getting it into Amazon. It was like a month. I did it incredibly fast. Um, which wouldn't have been a wouldn't have been possible if I was anywhere else. And it got to the warehouse, got got it on Amazon, and like just like that, it started selling really quickly. So I was like, okay, this is what it looks like when a product you know starts to work. Stapler um, Empire, here we come. <laughs> but but not so not so quick. Just just wait to see what happens. Um, so yeah, it starts selling really well. I'm like, okay, this is awesome. I'm going to like build a, you know, an office supplies empire. Um, and, and then I start getting like one star review and another one star review, and another one star review. And like the, the stapler just ends up being like totally defective. Like it just, it, it keeps breaking and it's just a piece of junk. That's brutal. It doesn't, doesn't work. So I ended up, you know, having a bunch of shitty staplers that didn't work. And so all these people got, a stapler that sucked ass and um, a bunch of one-star reviews basically killed the listing. And obviously I wasn't going to rebuy, you know, more of these shitty staplers. So I ended up shutting down that listing, but I, I stumbled into that, that, that rabbit hole of like the rose gold, right? So this was a rose gold stapler. So I, I kind of, I kept on looking at stuff that was rose gold because I realized that like there's kind of a niche with this color and it's in and of itself. Like a lot of women like to buy rose gold stuff. So I did more research and I found these balloons uh, that were like rose gold confetti balloons. Um, so this like small, like rose gold uh, metallic paper that goes inside these balloons. And there was one seller that had just started selling this. And this is like the beginning of February. So right now it's, it's Chinese new year, right? So, uh, the factories are closed. It's, they've got about like a month or six weeks off. There was this one seller that just started selling this and they're, they're crushing it. They're doing like $30,000 in revenue a month on this one product. And there was nobody else. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is, this is my next product. Like I'm going to just bundle it differently, do a different size. Um, but I had to wait until the factories came back to start working. So I immediately started sourcing this, you know, found, uh, 
found some suppliers, got some samples, um, and bundled this up. And then by then it was March and those got delivered in, I believe it was April. So it took about two months from when I found it to actually getting it in stock. Um, I'm still selling the, the, the grill mats at this stage, by the way. So the grill mats are, are still selling like very slowly. It's, it's you're, you're still working course. down inventory. Yeah. Still have those thousand units that are just, you know, still fucking wasting space. Um, those are still slowly selling the balloons come in stock, right? So it's about middle of April. Now I'm doing some launches to kind of get the balloons to get traction. Um, selling like 10 here and there within about a week, it, it just starts to go crazy. Like I remember we're moving into like late, uh, sorry, mid to late April now. And I'm waking up and checking my sales dashboard and it's like, okay, 300 bucks one day. And then it goes up to like 350, 400, 450, 500, 600, 700, 800, 900, 900, 1000, 1200. And so the balloons start to just like take off. But at the same time, the grill mats start to take off because like the, the weather's warming up and I'm like, oh shit, this is what seasonality looks like. And like I'm positioned perfectly because I've spent the last, you know, nine months building up reviews and like getting the algorithm to kind of recognize my brand. And like, it just kind of explodes all, both at the same time. And I'm like, holy fuck, this is amazing. Like, this is what an automated Amazon business that's doing well looks like when I'm personally profiting like 400 to $500 every single day. Wow. So, yeah. And there's like, there's no overhead. Like I'm just, I, I feel like, I feel like a boss, right? I'm just like in China You're living off nothing. Money. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's very exciting. Right. So we move into May and I'm, you know, consistently doing thousand dollar days, like every day. Um, just between these two products and, uh, I quickly realized, okay, I'm, I'm going to run out of stock, which is like probably the worst feeling ever when you're, you have something that's doing that well, um, quickly reorder, you know, but it's inevitable. I run out of stock. And before that, what happens is I start to realize kind of the, the very negative sides of Amazon, which is like bad actors and hijackers and competition, right? So while I'm starting to run out of stock, basically what happens is you have these people who can jump onto your listing and, and hijack your sales. Um, and it's, it's essentially where they act like they're selling your product, even though it's not your product and they'll lower the price. And what uh, Amazon does is Amazon damn. gives the Amazon gives the buy button to the lowest seller, right? So this it's called the buy box. And so you have people who, aren't actually selling your branded products. They're selling some knockoff. They jump onto your listing. They lower the price. They still, they essentially take advantage of your rank. People buy that product thinking that they're getting your products and, and they're getting some piece of junk that's drop shipped from, from China and takes like 30 days to get there. Um, this is the beginning of like where I realized, okay, this model has a lot of problems. Um, but there's still so much money to be made. So obviously I'm right. I'm working through kind of these bullshit issues, like, you know, filing IP claims and like copyright claims on, on these, on these, uh, these bad actors trying to like kick them off the listing. Right. Um, at this stage I file for a trademark cause like I wanted to have like legal 
you know, uh, legal rationale, legal reasons to actually right. be able to kick them off uh, legitimately. Um, so this is 2018 now in the summer, and I have two brands. Um, I've now filed for trademarks for both of them, but I don't know if you know this, it takes like a year to get it approved. So Jeez. the next year is basically me um, fighting those guys off, launching more products underneath these two brands that I've created. Um, and then continuing to, to basically scale up. And I did that for, I did that for another year. And then I had enough of the, the BS and realized that I, I, you know, I want to start a brand that's legit. That's, you know, a product made from scratch, not just private labeled. Um, and something that I enjoy actually selling and that I would use. I don't use barbecue products or confetti balloons. Um, or horse necklaces. So. <laughs> I mean, those, you got me there. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, by 2019, I was like, I'm going to sell my Amazon business and I, I know I can, you know, make a, make a nice chunk of money off it just based on the revenue and what I've seen other sellers make. Um, and then I'll use that capital capital to start a new brand. Um, so that's why I ended up selling, I ended up selling the Amazon business in August of last year. Um, and I had already been kind of already building the foundation of the the next brand that I that I launched recently. End of 20, 2018, I remember telling myself that by the new year I needed to have a product idea that I was going to start. And so I basically just did some old school brainstorming. I had a pen and paper and just kind of wrote down uh you know hundreds of different ideas, uh, everything from different materials to different product categories, um different niches, um and from there, I just narrowed it down. And I thought about something that kind of would solve some of my own pain points. Um, I was actually thinking about developing a, like a mobile uh, work, like pull-up bar, because obviously I, I like to travel and I can't always find somewhere to work out. So I was thinking of developing something like that. Um, went through some of those pros and cons, but ultimately it came down to uh, a travel bag. And for me, I had been using a, a travel backpack and I really disliked it. It just didn't kind of, you know, fit the needs that I have when I travel. Um, it was disorganized, kind of ugly, just not a great bag. And so I looked at the market and looked at like, if there was a solution to kind of what I was looking for. Um, and I couldn't exactly find that specific product. So for me, I was looking for something that looked good, but also had, you know, a place for a laptop compartment, but also other compartments to keep you organized for like a passport, your keys, a phone. Um, <clears throat> I think if you look at some like high-end uh, duffel bags or weekender bags, like if you look at the Louis Vuitton bags or any of the name brands, a lot of the high-end duffel bags are basically just a big bag with one opening and there's no, there's no pockets or compartments for organization. Um, and obviously I think a lot of modern... I, I personally have a few Louis bags and like that's been a huge problem for me that like I, I it's a mess I, yeah, I put yeah. my Gucci slippers in there and then you know like my Versace sunglasses and, and <laughs> I mean it's just a mess my stuff is everywhere so I, 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 I totally appreciate where you're coming from from that perspective. Uh -huh. Yeah I mean you, you've got the you've got the clout right you've got the name brand it looks cool but it's just not, it's not conducive to being organized on the go. Yeah. No, totally. no space for your delicates. No space yeah. for your delicates. Yep. And it's like, 
nowadays, right, you got a lot of people, you know, working and traveling. So business travelers need to have stuff that's organized. They got to have their work computers with them. And a lot of a lot of these guys don't want to carry two or three bags, myself included. I don't want to carry a backpack, a duffel, and another bag just to hold all my stuff. So why not create one bag that can kind of fit them all in the right areas? Who, who's your yeah, ideal customer? Pretty much. There? These yeah. are like, these are business professionals um, who are who are frequently on the road, right, for business travel. Um, so typically, these guys are like between forty to fifty-five years old. Um, they obviously like they have to have their work stuff with them when they're traveling. So they have a a laptop or um, an iPad or something, uh, maybe an extra pair of shoes, uh, and they want to be organized while they're traveling, but also they want something that looks professional enough that they could take it into the office and it's not going to look, you know, uh, not going to kind of take down their look, right? Um, totally. Yeah. So and most so of the guys. What went into like actually like how much? Like, you know, just for anyone who's interested in the bag or just interested in checking out Oak and Rove, can, can you talk a little bit more about like what actually went into building the product and like how much effort you actually went through to get that just right? I worked with a designer to kind of walk through the concept and like things that I wanted, things that I didn't want. So that process alone took took a very long time, about two months just to kind of get the details of the bag down. And then we had it created, uh, we had that design basically turned into a 3D photorealistic render, right? So now we have something that we can actually look at that looks like what the, what the bag will potentially look like. And why this is important is because now we can actually test with a real audience to see if there's any actual traction for the product. So we use these 3D renders. I had like multiple angles of the bag. We use these renders with a, uh, a landing page and a Facebook ad to test different audiences to see how people would respond to the products. And then we would bring these people through an email sequence. So basically I wrote out like a seven day email series where I would talk about the product, the benefits, you know, why, why it's special. Um, and then essentially give them an opportunity to reserve at a, at a specific price. So what this allowed me to do is essentially understand what these people like or dislike about this specific design, what colors might they like, and then what price are they actually willing to uh, pay for it. And after, you know, I've collected a few thousand emails with this exact process, um, it got to the point where I'm like, okay, if I launch this, people are actually going to buy it. So but that's was that an I, app or a, a company used to actually do so, or that was just something you were iteratively testing? Uh, to do the ads and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just all on my own. Yeah. Just set up the landing pages and, you know, uh, luckily with the experience I had drop shipping, I kind of understood how to, how to do all that correctly. The only thing that I didn't have experience with is the email marketing. So I kind of had to learn how to do that. Um, and that's a, honestly, it's one of the better skills that you can have as a marketer. Now is just like a good understanding of how email marketing works. Um, and then, yeah, so basically after the validation, I took that design, um, I created a, a tech pack. <clears throat> so this is, a, this is the technical document that the factories actually use. Found the supplier and uh, had them create a prototype. Um, at this stage, it was August of 2019. Um, at this stage, I knew that I was gonna do a crowdfunding campaign and 
with the timeline that I was on, I needed to launch by the third week of October. Basically, the reason I had to pick that date is because anytime after that, you start to compete with the major, the big brands um, for ad space and advertising becomes very expensive. So third week of October was like my cutoff. I had to launch by that date. It's now August. I needed to get a prototype to even see if I could uh, build something that is going to work for a video and some photos for the campaign. So it took about a month. We got back the prototypes. They were not very good, but good enough for us to shoot a video and get some photos. Um, so over the course of four days while I was in Hong Kong, um, you know, hired a videographer and a photographer, shot a video. Were, um, were you the model in it? I was, yeah. Basically just me with the bag. Um, you <laughs> created this so you could get famous. I see what you're doing there. Hey, <laughs> gotta do what you gotta do. Um, yeah, but, um, shot that video, put that together fairly quickly you know we had we had it finished by October uh, right before the launch um, so the way that the launch works so we had you know we created that that page on Indiegogo and then the email list that I had built up previously we essentially you know hyped them up and, and primed them to pre-order when we went live so we hit our funding goal the funding goal was about fifteen thousand dollars we hit that first day um, over the campaign, we raised about thirty-one thousand dollars. It's not wow. wasn't a huge wasn't a huge amount. I I was hoping to raise a lot more actually, um, but there were a few factors that kind of played into that not doing as well as it should have. Um, and then from there, it was just a matter of getting the product right. So between the end of the campaign and shipping out, um, I changed factories. So I I found a better factory, actually one of my main competitors, the same factory, um, they do a really good job. We had them make a few prototypes, you know, obviously made tweaks here and there, and then finally got the, the product up to a point that I was very happy with. And then we shipped out in July. Coronavirus put a delay on everything. Um, mm. So, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's been a, a tough time to uh, launch a travel bag company. <laughs> in the middle 100%. of a no travel pandemic how 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 has that been or you know if you could just kind of dive into that dynamic and what you're doing yeah. in the meantime to bide your time yeah yeah so it's obviously been tough um we we shipped out to the people who supported so we we had about 180 people who pre-ordered you know we shipped out all those bags um the good news is that it's pretty much you know, all good feedback. We haven't really had any negative feedback. So people really like the product, which is very good to hear. Um, we're still, we're still uh, putting, you know, putting out marketing efforts. So I'm still running ads and um, basically building up our email list continually. And uh, we're still making sales, but it's just obviously it's not great because people just aren't buying all these types of products right now, especially a product that's more expensive. Um, in the meantime, what I do is, uh, actually help out with the accelerator that, that helped mm -hmm. me kind of get this off the ground, which is, uh, this company so called it forward. essentially. Yeah. So that community that I talked about enter China, um, it's been rebranded into a community called EC accelerate. So now it works as essentially a high end accelerator where we help other people uh, take their idea and launch it into a, a company. 
So I help out on that on the side and I'm working on my brand day to day. And then uh, with my girlfriend, actually, we just started a, a second brand, um, a jewelry brand for women um, that we Not will horses? be launching. <laughs> Not horses this time, <laughs> but I, I'm taking the same, the same skill sets and, uh, and applying it to this one, nice. but just a little bit more, obviously a little bit uh, more sophisticated and, um, you know, better branding, the better processes, you know, the mm. works. So. Oh, that should be launching in uh, early 2021. That's awesome. So for uh, for those out there uh, listening that are interested in, uh, you know, just kind of connecting a little bit more with Oak and Rove and, and, and your brand, um, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so uh, obviously you can check out our website. Oak and Rove is O-A-K-A-N-D-R-O-V-E.com. Uh, same handle on Instagram, DM us there, send us an email, anything like that. Um, you know, I have a personal Instagram too. I don't, I'm not really active on there, but, uh, yeah, any of those means I'm, I'm happy to communicate and, and chat with anyone. Awesome. So I had a few random questions that I had prepped, um, uh, I have the same. Call. Okay, cool, sure. cool. Um, so we'll, what we'll do is we'll do alternate rapid fire, Ethan, Jake. Um, these are not meant to be deep dives, but like, uh, like witty one-liners. Um, so, um, if they're not witty, we can just laugh without the, the lack of wit, um, I guess. <laughs> but, um, so, um, if you could have told, uh, Harrison who bought a ticket to China, sitting in his last day in finance one thing before he hops across the pond what would you tell him study chinese <laughs> <laughs> there's so much summarized in that one line i yeah. I, I feel i sense so much like pain and sweat and frustration <laughs> that you probably had with that I love I, that. man great. you bring up a, i mean uh, w one thing i was interested in that we haven't gotten in and, and uh, like I'm so curious what it's like to not speak a language. And then like, how do you go find and communicate with factories? How do you, how, like on the, on the setup business, how do you find the people you work with and how do you communicate with them? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was a tricky part. I mean, I, I, I forgot to mention, like I did, when I got to China, I did uh, do a deep dive into to Mandarin. So like I studied pretty, pretty hard. Um, for about six months and got to a, a pretty good level where I was like, you know, uh, on a conversational level. Hmm. Um, I've since lost a lot of it, but that helped tremendously um, just in terms of like basic conversation, being able to communicate and kind of just show for them, it, it's such an important thing to show that you kind of understand a little bit um, mm -hmm. in a cultural sense. So that was very important. And then other other ways of getting in touch and and getting a hold of people just like uh, Alibaba for one obviously you have good access to to get in touch with people and mm -hmm. a lot of the things a lot of like reputable factories do have English speaking reps you know obviously it's not always the best English but um, it's not impossible to to get in touch with people that can help. And are you just googling factories that make like how how do you find the factories where are you where are you finding that information? Yeah. So there is a process on Alibaba just to kind of vet, uh, you know, who's going to be reputable and who isn't. So mm. some have like a special gold standard where they actually have to pay um, 
some are inspected by a third-party company and you, these are all filters that you can select on alibaba huh. for example um this factory that i found that's making my bag i actually had to find a little bit more of a sneak in a sneakly way where i looked up the import records from my competitor and um found the name on the bill of lighting um and then googled their company name and then just kept calling them until they they picked up that's awesome so, that is awesome uh random random other questions so when i think of entrepreneurship and when i listen to some of these other great pro um podcasts like how i built this right i'm a big fan of how i built this it seems like many entrepreneurs have a have a story of pure serendipity or pure luck that they just said you know i was doing this I was, uh, and then this happened and bam are you at a stage where you have your bit of serendipity yet any any lucky stories that you have or or are you still waiting i think i'm still waiting to be honest well it's I good you've like, gotten this far then <laughs> yeah i mean i i've i feel like the amount of work that I've put in is, is reflective of the money that I've made. Um, I feel like this current brand has been very unlucky with the timing. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. so I feel like I'm due for some luck, but that doesn't come without a lot of hard work and, you know, obviously making that luck happen. 